Yeah, they Steve Pelletier, Yenishe, Mai Deshkizni initially, Biligana Bashashin, Kinlachitni Dashache, Biligana Dashanella. Welcome back to Resball. Today we are going to be joined, as we always are, by a data driven Piston fan to discuss how the Detroit Pistons have not done well acquiring talent on the margins. Looking at this 2023 Summer League roster, it's made me realize one thing about the Pistons trying to find talent through free agency and through the undrafted free agent market. Let's go and get started. again to talk about the Pistons and Troy Weaver missing on the margins. This is going to be a more critical podcast because to me, in my opinion, looking at this now in year three, I think there is one area you can criticize the Troy Weaver restoration, rebuild, however you want to phrase it, and that's building on the margins. What do I mean by building on the margins? Well, to me, this whole conversation got started looking at the 2023 Pistons Summer League roster. And you say, well, what's wrong with the Summer League roster? It's got a lot of the guys they drafted. Shouldn't that be fine? Yeah, I'm not talking about them. So we're not going to be talking about Jalen Duran, Asar Thompson, Isaiah Livers, Jay Nivey, Marcus Sasser. None of those guys. Like, obviously, this is what you do going through every year is that you play in the summer league, so that that's totally fine. All those guys are awesome. We want them to succeed. We believe in them ending up being good players. It's everything else on this roster. To me, it started with the undrafted free agents. I know when the Pistons started this restoration, one of the things they really touted was, hey, we want to take the Grand Rapids drive, I think it was at the time, we need to move it to Detroit so that way we can have access to our G League team. We can have access to the roster right there because we want to integrate it. We want to be like the Heat. You know, we want to be like these teams that are able to utilize their G League team to develop talent. And if it's right here in the same facility, cool. Then it's so much easier to bring guys up. We don't have to worry about travel back and forth. You know, if there's injuries, if there's second round guys, we can do it. Well, it's three years in. Andy, what do we have to show for this G League team? Not very much. And I'm not going to pretend that I'm somebody who knows fringe players that don't get drafted or I don't keep up with the G League. So, but I do know, like when I looked at mock drafts, because I looked at a lot of mock drafts, but when you got down to the list of undrafted free agents, I didn't see any names that I recognized from what people would try to get right away from an undrafted player. Um, another thing I noticed was, except for, um, I think his name is Tosan, um, I didn't see any tweets about the Pistons got so-and-so committed to the Pistons as an undrafted free agent, where other teams had a bunch right away. So just something that I noticed. Yeah, going back three years, so think of that first season with Killian and then think of the next season when Cade came in. Do you even remember who any of the undrafted guys were? 
that got any kind of playing time in the regular season? I do not. Yeah, it really has not come about. That hasn't materialized. And if you're already into this thinking like, why are we talking about undrafted free agents? Remember, the Pistons need to have every avenue to scoop up talent. And they talked about it being like a thing that they wanted to do. And the best teams, the Miami Heat, the Golden State Warriors, all these you know teams, this is how they find talent as well as how you can reload. And even if you just find one guy, one guy like Damon Lee is a good example for Golden State. Like he helped fill out that rotation. He helped continue their space. And then they got through with a couple titles with Damon Lee and got through a couple seasons with him there. And especially if you're building towards a roster where you're building just based off of your draft picks, not every draft pick is going to hit. And if you're re-signing two or three of them at the max, say two or three of them hit, then guess what? You're already strapped for cash. Troy Weaver comes from Oklahoma City, where look at what they're doing now. You can see Sam Presti's pivoted from that Lou Dort, undrafted free agent guy. They brought in a couple undrafted dudes. Lindy Waters is another one that has found his way into the regular rotation. Shout out Lindy Waters, one of my few native players in the league. But smart teams. This is what they do too. They make sure they invest. And here in year three, there's no G League guys that have made their way to the main roster. Maybe that's a problem. Maybe it's not. Silver lining in all this. Look at this back to this 2023 Summer League roster. There are a couple guys that were in the Pistons G League team last year Stanley and Moody and um, Xavier Simpson, Kafer Sykes, Roden, and Buddy Bayheim. So if you want to push back on this, this is where and why I say silver lining, because I think part of this summer league roster is you can see it's invested in those guys. I got news for you, Jay Ivey. I would be surprised if Jay Ivey plays more than like 15 minutes in summer league. He's already so advanced offensively. It makes a little sense for them to waste time with him here in summer league and risk injury. Duran, I think, probably plays a little bit more because I think he still has a lot to work on in terms of like defensive awareness, especially screening. Like he's got to get better as a screener. So he might play more. But again, bam, those guys are going to be gone. Asar and Sasser will get a lot of rub. After that, the guys that are going to get a lot of rub are these guys, Roden, Mayheim, Moody, and then, you know, maybe Xavier. Xavier's there because he's a professional. He knows how to run the point. Same with Kafer Sykes. But I think really Roden and Buddy and Amudi, they're set up to at least play major minutes and get more shine here in the summer league after they've already been in the Pistons system and team for a whole year. What are your thoughts on that, Andy? Well, not to, to take you off track, but I do have a question about your opinion on shutting down good players after one game of summer league or letting them play. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I would shut them down. Honestly, I would have the conversation beforehand with them of like, this is where we think you're at. We honestly don't want to risk injury or have something, you know, a freak of nature, stupid happen. So we're not even going to play you. If I were them, like I wouldn't even play Jaden Ivey, to be quite honest, because everything he showed you, he already showed you in year one that he's ready to take that next offensive step in an actual NBA game. I personally don't need to see him in the G League or in the summer league where like they don't play defense because my main questions with them are on defense 
Offensive, I have no questions. I don't need to see what he's like in summer league. I already know what he's like. He's good. So my only pushback on that is, like, I know people say that we don't want them to get hurt. They can get hurt in all the other pickup games and different things that they do in the offseason. I don't see it as being different. But if there is something that they were supposed to be working on or improving or an area that is just something they're working on that, you know, their coaches want them doing, I would love to see them doing it in live action. Like, honestly, if Jaden Ivey didn't score in the summer league, but his defense, like his focus on that area was different, that would impress me. Like, that's something I, I would like to see. See, to me, this is where that does not matter. I mean, every Piston fan knows about Austin Day, right? This is where the competition is so different. And again, nobody cares about defense in summer league. There have been plenty of dudes who look like, you know, locked down, shut down. But it doesn't matter because not everybody there is going 1,000%. And they're not running actual NBA schemes against the top talent in the world. That, that makes sense. I'll, I'll go back on track now for for, for what we were, were talking about. Sorry about that. that no, 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 no. But, it, but I think it's a good question because especially for somebody like Ivy, what question do you really have for him? What skill could he possibly show you in like even one game of summer league where you're like, cool, like that's awesome. You added that now. Yeah. No, if, if they're not running, if, if they're not running sets that he can work on how he's defending and if he doesn't have the players around him, that are going to adjust with whether or not he's going over or under a screen or what he's doing, then it, it it's not a spot that he can showcase, you know, what he's working on. So that makes sense. Yeah. And, and good point there too, is like Ivy now, you don't care what he looks like with the G league guys and some undrafted ones. You care about what he looks like next to Kate Cunningham. That's where every little bit of practice, every little bit of training needs to be going towards. <laughs> you know, Kate Cunningham out here in summer league. So that that's my thoughts on that too. Like Dern is is why I say maybe a little bit more because again the screening thing. Like this team just doesn't have anybody that's a consistent screener. All the bigs that are going to play in the summer league. I mean oh, that would be one thing. Is like I ought to see you consistently screen, and then see where you're at in terms of your defensive awareness. Because okay, I'm, I guess I'll bring it up now. Dern's peers, unfortunately, are. Walker Kessler, Mark Williams. They have some pretty high defensive block numbers. And it's not just like chasing blocks. You just watch them and you see they understand and process the game at a different speed. Duran's not always going to be compared with them, but he has a long ways to go in terms of that, which is fine. Like most centers take a long time in order to become better rim protectors, become better defenders. But that's something... For 100%, like I would like to see, is he still kind of at that same spot? Oh, is he much better than everybody else out there? Is he not? Because that's something you absolutely need to answer, even if it's just one game. So, and again, this is not to be a knock on Durant because you see his athleticism, you see his dunks, you see highlights, and that stands out in people's minds. But with Mark Williams and with Kessler, it doesn't look sexy, but it is effective. It is efficient. They are great defenders. And sometimes we get caught up in highlights and not necessarily what is sound, fundamental, winning basketball. 
Yeah, and that's what Dur needs to show here in summer leagues, like more sound fundamentals. Absolutely. But so, getting back to this current G League team, <laughs> sorry so, about that. No, 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 it's all good. So once these two, you know, fade into the background and Asar and Marcus Sasser will be flanked by Jared Roden, Stanley Moody, Buddy Bayheim, and who is the other one that I just automatically blanked on? For our regular regular players? Yeah, so Roden, Amudi, and Buddy were all in the yeah, they were all in the G League last year. That's who yeah. is going to get a lot of shine. Probably a little bit more on ball reps. So that's one of the silver linings, I think, of this this roster. And if you wanted to push back on our idea that like the Pistons haven't developed enough in terms of looking at in the margins and trying to find guys in the underactive free agent, all these guys Profile is what they need, even in the second unit and the bench unit. All these guys are like 6'6". Six, six. Well, they're around 200 pounds. Two of them do commit on defense. One of them is a volume three-point shooter. That's what you invested in him for. So there, at least, there's like, okay, they identified these three targets. They're like, we're not going to bring any other undrafted free agents in that regard, it would seem because we really want to invest in these guys and continue to show that we want them to be at least in the G League team. Another very good signing, in my opinion, is Malcolm Cazalon, six foot six, 186-pound wing, played at Mega Basket this past season with Nikola Dursic. I believe he played there the season before that with Nikola Jovic. Profiles is very athletic. Dude, shooter last season shot something like 32% from three, but that team was kind of space-challenged. I think he's a better shooter. And those numbers has played multiple years now in a professional league in the Adriatic League alongside other NBA talent. And he's been at, been very athletic the whole time. He was on draft radar. I want to say like two or three years ago is when he first came up. And the athleticism is what everybody touted him for and what popped. They've already signed Malcolm Kazalon to a two-way contract. That's the one bit of roses I will give this team is they clearly identified, okay, here's somebody still young. 21 years old we need him in our developmental system and if there's somebody we want to invest one of these two-way contracts in bring them in to the regular team sometimes keep them on the cruise checks all the boxes you want right the wing size the athleticism shooter can commit to defense has professional experience what are your thoughts on Malcolm Kazalon there Andy um, all I know about him is, is what I've heard, like the hype behind him. So I was excited because, you know, I've heard of him. But what are your thoughts on, I believe Buddy has, does Buddy have the other two-way currently? Or, like, what do you think of him being ahead of Umudi or Rodin? Or is I, that believe, I believe, from what I remember... Roden has a two-way. Kazalon has a two-way. I do not think that the Pistons have signed any other two-ways, whoever their third one is. I know Roden for sure has one, and I know for sure Kazalon has one. So I'm not sure Buddy has it yet. Yeah, and, and I don't know how it works in the offseason, but I know that like once the season starts, they can have three two-ways if they have a full 15-man roster. If they're only carrying 14, they can only have two two-ways. Yeah, so it's three right now during the regular season. That's the number that I've kept hearing throughout the whole process. So I think 
they already identified. Roden played very well. He was one of the leaders on that G League team last year. He had a very good senior season to go. He was dialing the clock back where he played with Sandro Mamukelashvili the year before that in his junior season. Uh, at Seton Hall, that team was not good, even though I really love Sandro. Sandro's one of my guys. They won something like 13 or 17 games. Sandro graduates, goes to the NBA. The next year, Jared Roden is the lead guy, and that Seton Hall team wins like 23, 21 games with him at the helm. So he's continued to show, like, I'll step up and do a bunch of things. Very good defender. You know, those Seton Hall guys get after it on defense. Improving shooter. They list... Uh, they list... Well, um, having trouble speaking tonight. They list Jared Roden at six foot six, 210 pounds. So he has good size as well. Could slide over to power 40 if you want. Also can handle the ball, get to the free throw line. Some, you know, good idea to give him the two way. And then again, Malcolm Casalon, the other one they've already identified last two season, uh, last season at mega in 2022, 2023 season, Malcolm Casalon scored 11.3 points per game in 25 games. He played 25.5 minutes. Malcolm Casalon's shooting splits were 58.3% from two-point range, 33.7% from three-point range, and then 80%, that's 80.0% from the free throw line, 3.4 rebounds, 2.6 assists. He took uh, 104 three-point attempts in those 25 games, so it's like 4.2 attempts from three per game that's pretty good volume and especially in the euro league the euro league ain't like the nba where there's jacking them up i mean caslon may as well took like seven or eight threes in nba range so he's one of the main floor spacers there or mega played a lot of minutes again 21 years old six foot six 186 rim rocker will play defense professional experience again this is a good signing this is a good guy to give a two-way contract to so other than Xavier Simpson, who played for Michigan, then that's how I know him. What can you tell me about the man from Princeton? Uh, is it Tosin? So now we go over into the other prospects, undrafted prospects that are on this team, starting with Tosan Iwoma. Tosan Iwoma is a British citizen, I believe. He started over in Newcastle playing basketball, then came over to Princeton where he's played the last three seasons. Last two seasons has been very productive for Princeton, scored 16 points per game as a sophomore. And then this last year as a junior scored 15.1 points per game. They they murdered my poor Arizona Wildcats in the first round. They were not ready for that Princeton offense. Iwoma is a very, very intriguing player. I believe he measured in at six foot seven and a half inches without shoes. So that means he's around six, eight, six, nine when he's running out there on the basketball court with shoes. And by the way, like we need to stop doing these like measuring without shoes. Nobody plays without shoes. So it's just like, come on now. Because all these people kept saying Cam, Cam Whitmore is not really six, seven. And it's like, actually, he is six, seven when he puts on shoes. So anyways, sidetrack there. Tosani Woma around six, eight, two, fifteen has a seven, one and a half inch wingspan. So he's got good size. His position though, is a little bit of a mystery. At Princeton played like a point four type of role, 15.1 points per game, 6.3 rebounds, 4.9 assists. He 
brought the ball up a lot of times. He did a lot of grab and go. He operated from the elbows. He's a really good passer. He can find a lot of different openings in a lot of different ways. But that's where my certainty on Tosani Moma ends. Cannot shoot. His entire college career at Princeton, Tosani Woma has taken 66 three-point attempts in three years. He shot 25.8% from three on those 66 attempts. And in his final season at Princeton, Tosani Woma took 34 three-point attempts, drained 11 of them for 32.4%. So to say he is far behind as a shooter is an understatement. The other thing about Iwoma is I do not know what position he will play in the NBA. He is not going to play the same role that he did there at Princeton. Nobody's going to give him the ball. I mean, he was the main facilitator, the main hub there at Princeton. I believe Iwoma has to change position probably more over into like a power forward. The big problem with that is Iwoma has really not good lower body strength. If you go watch the boxing one, Coach Spinella's breakdown on him, fantastic video, by the way, as Coach Spins always does. That's the one part where you see like, man, a woman just gets pushed around so easily in the low post against centers. So he can't he can't defend centers, even though he has a really good wingspan to do it. He moves well laterally, so I think at power forward he could be fine. But he's not a shooter. Nobody's going to guard him outside of eight feet. And then the passing is good. What role exactly is he going to have? And this is hard. Again, I don't want to do this just a rag on the young man. I think he's a very intriguing player that the Pistons or any team that got him would be wise to take and develop and say, hey, we want you in the G League for three or four years to figure out what he is. But this is their best signing. And this is why we keep saying to be a little bit more critical of the players and of the, you know, looking at the margins. This is a major project, even as your top undrafted free agent signing. So doesn't doesn't that kind of show consistency within the organization, though? We have a bunch of players that we don't really know if they're power forwards or centers, and they kind of can't figure out where we're supposed to play them. And then in like our feeder system, we just add another guy. Uh, I would say no, only because Iwoma has more basketball skills, especially the passing. Like he could legitimately be a weapon being able to pass and bring the ball up the way that he does. Like Wiseman's instincts are to grab and go, right? He can run the full court and he looks fantastic doing it, but he ain't passing that ball and he's not finding open teammates and taking advantage of those mismatches there. And again, his ability to score is really like trying to get in a low post. Bagley as well. Bagley's at least a better like screen and roll guy, but he does not move like Tosani Woma does. And Tosani Woma is a guy that just started playing basketball, I want to say like seven years ago, something like that. He is not a lifer. Bagley's a lifer. Wiseman's been, you know, this number one recruit for a long time. So I think Iwoma still has a lot of intriguing tools. Again, I applaud the Pistons going out and trying this unique player. I just hope that they do invest. But again, a lot of times the undrafted free agents, you want to be able to identify like, okay, this is who he is. This is why they brought him in here. And even within the first year within your G League team, like this is what he can do. 
If you ask 10 different expert evaluators about Tosani Woma's role in the NBA, you're probably going to get 10 different answers. I'm not one that believes in his shooting, but there are other people there too that are like, look at the development in his shooting. And I'm like, man, you have some fantastic faith because I am not going to go out there on that one. Nice. Thank you. Thank you for, for filling me in on all that. Now, when you look at the, like we're talking about, you know, maximizing the edges or the margins, when you get to the bottom end of our G League team, how do you think they did? Oh boy, here, here it comes. So again, we're going to throw Xavier Simpson and Kiefer Slacks out. They could end up ultimately making the roster. They're already professionals. If they want to, they can have a long career in the G League. If they want to, they can go over to Europe and have a fantastic career there as well. Our guy Xavier is 26 already. Kiefer's 29. He's uh, kicked around here and there, been on a couple different teams. You know what you're going to get from him. He's even played some minutes in actual NBA you know, minutes with the Pistons. So again, these are professionals. You need these guys in the summer league that line up the young guys. So we're throwing them out on this. Those guys are cool. The rest of the squad. It starts with Wiseman. James Wiseman is on the summer league team. Andy, what year is James Wiseman? How many years has he played in the NBA? He was drafted the same year as Kildian. So 2020 was when he came in. This would be his fourth season. We prefaced all of this with the rookie conversations of like, you don't need to see Ivy and oh, we want Duran to even in like one game to know where he is on these things. Wiseman doesn't fit between the two things we just talked about, the veterans who line everybody up and the rookies who we have no idea what they are. This is a guy going into the fourth year of the NBA who is right there with Jalen Duran. If you want to make that argument of like, well, James Wiseman has played less minutes, less games than Jalen Duran, that is a double-edged sword, my friends. I understand you make that argument in terms of potential, but you also need to make that argument in terms of like, this is not going to work out. Like it's, can you, I can't even think of the last player who in their fourth NBA season was playing in the summer league. Um, again, not to take us off track. Do you know why Killian's not playing in summer league? Because we know what he is. Right. So, and I guess for me, it's like, I don't understand how, like, because Killian had injuries that delayed him. So if we're going to do this with Wiseman, and if we have questions, Mark, question, question marks with Killian, you'd think we would have Killian on the summer league team for the exact same reasons is, I guess, my question or, or thought. So Killian has played 168 games in the NBA. He has a, played a total of 4,471 minutes. James Wiseman, on the other hand, has played in 84 games for a total of 1,703 minutes. That's probably your answer. Again, I keep saying... We know what Killian is. If I can ask you right now, give me three things Killian's good at. Give me three things he's bad at. You have an answer, right? 
Yes, that is that is correct. If I give you that same question for Wiseman, it's going to take a while, right? <laughs> yes, that, there's a lot of unknowns there. Again, that's no knock on him. This I'm agreeing with people that say he's played less minutes than Duran. This is the problem with it. And why it's a problem is you just traded for him because he was your number one guy in the 2020 draft, as they've been saying all along, or Weaver's been saying all along. I don't want to throw anybody else in the, under the bus with that evaluation. But Weaver has been saying that it's his number one guy. He's going into his fourth year. What happens at the end of the fourth year with rookies, Andy? Um, we have to give them an extension. Or let them go. Yes. So this is not a good place to be in for either the team or Wiseman. Maybe he goes out there and just like completely dominates. That starts to set up this contract conversation, right? Of like, oh, look at how good he is. Maybe we should start paying him. <laughs> That's not a good thing when Wiseman hasn't shown anything consistently. If he goes out there and lays an egg, great. You just wasted four second round picks. How many did they give up to get Wiseman? And you wasted that roster spot as well. It's it's a tough spot to be in, right? Yeah, I don't I don't think that Detroit gave up the picks. I think Detroit gave up Bay, and then Atlanta was the one that gave up the number of picks. But still, same thing. We wasted resources to bring him in. Yeah, and if he bombs here in the summer league. That's a pretty quick flame out and pretty, pretty quick. Like, wow, that was a bad trade. Yeah, please, please don't say he bombs in the summer league. That would not set a good tone to start. <laughs> this is my point, though, of criticizing Weaver not utilizing the margins enough. How many reclamation projects has this Piston team had? Do you even remember? Oh, we, we've we've got a list of them. And. I don't mind a reclamation project. I do mind stacking them on top of each other in the same position like Bagley and Wiseman because it just creates a lot of trouble. Yeah, and I don't want to criticize the idea of the reclamation project. I actually think this is one of the smartest things Weaver did in theory, but in practice, it ended up wielding almost nothing. We had Jaleel Okafor, right? He was there for one season. Is he still with the team? Was he still with the team at the end of that one season, Andy? No, he was not. They traded for Dennis Smith Jr. at the trade deadline. He played some minutes down the line. Did he end up re-signing or being brought back to the Detroit Pistons? <laughs> no, he did not. I, I see a common theme coming. <laughs> they, they brought in Josh Jackson to the team. I believe they re-signed him for like two years, right? Did he end up staying with the Detroit Pistons? No, I think we did. We move him for Bagley. I believe we did. Hey, there's another guy, Marvin Bagley. They traded for Marvin Bagley. He's still with the team, right? We'll circle back to him, but he's another one of the reclamation projects. Kevin Knox. Kevin Knox came in. Started to play well. He shot at the three very well, which is like the only thing anybody asked of him. Is he still with the team, Andy? Nope. We rewarded him by moving him on. And then now we have James Wiseman. How many guys did I just name? Okafor, Dennis Smith, Josh Jackson, Marvin Bagley. Uh, who's the one I'm forgetting? Oh, Kevin Knox. And now Wiseman. That's six dudes. 
And you, Marvin Bagley is your best success story out of that. Again, this was a good idea, but like, when do you know to kind of cut bait on this? And I, I think we both agree. It's something good to do with the 14th or 15th guy on the roster, but it's not someone that you spend as much money as Wiseman's contract is like 12 million or something and devote that many resources. It's you can still have one, but you can't have multiple ones at the same time. And they can't cost you that much because in the end that takes away flexibility from other options they, they could have had. Yeah, and the Kevin Knox, Marvin Bagley, I think are two interesting cases to look at because Bagley, I get it. I get why they kept him. I don't like the number and the contract they signed him for, but I really don't want to diss on Marvin Bagley only for the simple fact he's the only player on this team who knows how to set a screen. It drives me banana. Like, I love Stu. I believe in Duran, but they still are not good screeners. And that's part of what Bagley's appeal is. is He knows how to set a screen for two guards who need them, Ivy and Cade and Killian. That was Killian's thing coming out of college or coming out of, you know, his pro team over in Germany is that this guy is going to thrive and pick and roll. And then this whole time, he's been the only one that's been able to consistently set a screen. It's part of why the team struggles so much on offense. So, again, I don't agree with the number. I get it. Is he a success story out of Reclamation Projects? I don't think so. And then Wiseman so, just like Wiseman cannot set a screen. All his I, screens drive me banana. I I will defend Weaver in this aspect that Cade and Bagley were very good together and the team had no lob threat and Bagley filled a need. So in that respect, I give him a pass. The problems I have is you can't draft Duran and then sign Bagley to that contract. That doesn't work. Unless you can, you just got to trade for Nerlens Noel after that. Come on now. That's how it works, Andy. And then just don't play him. Yeah, no. So that hey, can we throw Nerlens in the reclamation project? Now that I'm thinking about it. Sorry to cut you off. <laughs> no, that, that is, that is completely fine and true. And, Nerlens is probably the biggest disaster example of a reclamation. Was the I don't even know what that was, but it, that was that was a disaster. But uh, and yeah, but you, we threw that right on top of the Bagley situation. So yeah, it's I don't want to go down this road. It's too upsetting. So that's that's just our point. Is one of the ways in which. Troy Weaver decided, okay, this is how I'm going to try and find talent and try and find value at the margins. It just hasn't worked out. And now they're at the point, maybe you can still do it with like the 15th man, but it's still a wasted roster spot, right? In like Rodney Magruder is the one of the ideal 15th men around the league. That's the guy you want, the veteran. When somebody goes down who can go in and actually play and play a couple different positions. Magruder's played shooting guard. He's played small forward. He's played point guard. You want that 15th guy to be a consummate, consummate professional and to mentor the young guys. That's always what you want. I mean, look at the most successful teams. Udonis Haslam has been the 15th dude or 13th dude when it was back when it was 13 guys for a very long time. I mean, Denver looked down that bench. It was all like 
super good veterans that were at the end of that bench ish was probably they're like 15th dude right those are the exact kind of guys you want at the end of your bench so i think it's at the point where the team can't be doing this anymore so unfortunately that didn't work out even though again like i don't want to criticize criticize the outcome of it but at the end of the day like i can't really criticize the theory behind it and the idea because it makes sense you're not going to win games anyway but you asked about the rest of this 2023 summer league roster and if you know anything about me i mean this this podcast this channel whatever you want to call it is a draft channel tosan awoma i i get it like i said super intriguing guy any nba team would be you know worthwhile to be like you know what i think his passing is going to translate i think he can end up being like a really good movement big i think he's gonna screen i know it's a lot of things like there's a lot of things to say i think he can do this but you see how smart he is you see him make so many different good plays and know where to go and what to do that's the kind of player you want to invest in and you want to believe in even if they are a major project after that the other undrafted rookies this detroit roster has for the 2023 summer league jack nunge jack nunge is from xavier played his first three seasons at iowa had to redshirt one year i believe because of injury so after his four years were up at iowa transferred over to xavier where he's played very well his last two seasons at xavier old jack has scored over 13 points per game both seasons has shot over 36 percent both seasons from three and been one of the leaders of an xavier team that has done very well under um one of my old, old coaches here from Arizona who's now coaching over at Xavier, Sean Miller. So shout out coach Miller. He's not been on a ton of guys radar. I put him at number 100 on my big board at the end of June, strictly because he's 24 years old. I mean, he had injury history in the past. I don't buy into old Jack as a defender. I think he's more of an offense only center. Six foot 11, 245 is what he's listed at. Again, offensively, I think he's fine, but this is somebody that just seems to be a defensive liability. If he's going to make it in the NBA, he's going to make it like as a stretch five, as an offense only big. Maybe he can be another screener. Played under Sean Miller, who, again, has put out a lot of top talent in the NBA, runs NBA stuff. So maybe that translates. That's one that's like, okay, I get it. I, I get you want to try and find a stretch big. After that, though, the last two players on this team. This is where it gets hard because what I'm about to say is not to disparage the players. It's to question the process of Troy Weaver and trying to evaluate talent on the margins. Xavier Brewer out of Alabama A&M, 6'9", 215 pounds, and then Walter Ellis out of Grand Canyon, 6'5", 200 pounds. I wonder if any of y'all have Googled these two players. If you have, you probably had similar reactions to me. Uh, who? Why? Who else would give these guys opportunities? And again, this is not to disparage the player. Walter Ellis is the better of the two in terms of production. 
Wilder Ellis from Grand Canyon, six foot five, two hundred is what he listed at. Five points per game, two point three rebounds, under one assist, under one steal. I do not believe Mr. Ellis had no, he had one block all year in thirty three games. Played thirty three games, only started one, only played fourteen point nine minutes per game. Didn't even take one two point attempt every single game he was out there. He took point six. Two-point attempts per game was mainly a shooter there at Grand Canyon, taking something like 2.4, I believe, per game. 2.5. Shot 45.1%, though. So at least you can say, oh, look, this is a guy that shot incredibly well. Even in the one year where he was at Bucknell in his sophomore year, 117 threes, 41% from three. But again... Every year, every year, every year, under nine points per game. There's only one season where Ellis shot or Ellis scored over 5.9 points per game, started 14 games across five seasons in NCAA basketball. I don't know a single, again, being the draft person, I consider myself very connected. I try to keep up always with NBA Big Board, those guys, Mavs draft. My guy, Rafael Barlow, draft dummies, look at their big board. This is not a guy that was on any of their radar. I didn't hear a single one of them talk about it. No ceilings in the freaking million people that work there. None of them. None of them had this guy there. On, and these are big boards that go to 100. This isn't just like top 30 or whatever. It's somebody that is not on the radar. So, again, I, I don't like doing this 100%. Because I feel like it's dissing on the player, which again, it's not. It just makes me think who in the world is making these evaluations. And none more than Xavier Brewer. Xavier Brewer, Alabama AM, listed as six foot nine, 215 pounds. Oh man, 2.7 points per game this last season in 32 games. Started three only played eight and a half minutes per game. This is a player that shot 30.9%. That's 30.9% from the entire field. 2.2 rebounds, under one assist, under one steal, under one block. I'm like, who would give these other two a shot? The only other thing I can equate it to Vin Baker Jr. got a, a shot on Milwaukee Bucks summer league team. He has similar, like, not good stats. I believe Vin Baker's best season was like 5.1 points per game. And that one to me screams of nepotism. Vin Baker played for the Bucks. He was on some of their best teams. So maybe that's it. But when you see these undrafted guys, like barely cracking a college rotation on teams that are not exactly at the top. Grand Canyon's okay. Alabama A&M. Like these are guys that can't even make those rosters. Why are these guys you want to sign for your undrafted free agents? Any idea, Andy? No, I, I think you, you had good points though, as far as it's, just not important to the team. It's not a priority or, or maybe 
I don't know the maybe the 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 program the 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 team the crews maybe it doesn't have a reputation like you know I I'm not sure if we talked about this while we were recording. No, we're talking yet. about it before we started recording. So. Okay, yeah. but it's like if if you have your your top guys in, on the Motor City Cruise, but like Stanley Yamude, you don't play him at the end of the season when basically you're sitting everybody and playing. Who knows? Like what what you're doing? It's like you go to this G League program if you're not going to get a chance. Does that make sense? Yeah. So Annie and I talked a lot about this before, and because again, we don't want to disparage the players, but it makes us question what's going on here when there's players that's not on anybody's radar. You can say like, oh, maybe they're if they, you know they're digging deep, they they know these super sleepers. But like, you can't gas up a player that is not gonna succeed on an NBA court against NBA athletes. It is unfair to the player, and it's also just a waste of time for yourself as well. Like these are precious spots to where you could be finding guys that are useful to you that you could develop. My thought when I first saw the summer league roster and see the only undrafted free agents they really got were Jack Nunge and and Tosani Woma. And Tosani Woma was really the only one that was on everybody's radar. I had two thoughts. Neither of them could. Either, that's why we talked about everything here, either the lack of development and the lack of actually playing the G League dudes and showing that you have, you know, commitment to the G League and will play G League players on your Detroit Pistons. The lack of that has made it so when you call free agents, they're like, no, thank you. And Andy alluded to it. I think the best example of this was last season after the All-Star break. Everybody's hurt. This team sucks. They're so bad. This is the time when you should be playing the guys you've had all year. Jared Roden, Buddy Beheim, Stanley Moody. They've been here all year in your G League team. Stanley Moody played one game. He got exactly two minutes. Buddy Beheim played 10 games. He got exactly 90 minutes. Jared Roden played the most out of these guys. He got 14 games. He got exactly 198 minutes. Do you know who played more minutes than these guys, Andy? Uh, you gave me, well, I answered with uh, Eugene Amarui, and you told me I was close. Eugene Amarui played more minutes and games than all three of these guys. RJ Hampton also played more minutes and games than these guys. RJ played 21 games, 389 minutes. Amarui played 17 games, 373 minutes. That if I were an agent, that kind of thing would signal to me they don't care about undrafted guys because the guys they had all year, the guys they had in their summer league team, the guys that have playing been playing with the Motor City Crews who run the same exact system as the Detroit Pistons during the time of the season when it didn't matter or the worst team in the league, they would rather bring in dudes off the street than play my client. That might be what this is, is like maybe undrafted free agents now see like, oh, that happens. They're not going to give me time. An agency that, oh, they're not going to give you time. Don't bother signing with them. 
maybe that's what it is. And maybe they don't get their calls returned anymore, which is why they have to result or why they have to resort to signing Walter Ellis and Xavier Brewer, these guys whose production don't warrant a summer league roster. You look at someone like the Miami Heat, who's obviously the pinnacle of this, up and down. Everybody they signed in there, you know, undrafted free agent is like, you know, some of the top players in the nation. One conference player of the year, won awards. The Bucks signed Amari Moore, who was a Mountain West player of the year. They also signed Jay-Z and Gortman, who was one of the top prospects from the overtime elite. Super athletic, six foot one, six foot ten inch wingspan. Even the Wizards, the Wizards were able to dive into the NBL and get uh, Dion Vasilevich, who helped the Sydney Kings win the last two NBL titles. Like you see these guys, they have a resume that warrants like, hey, I should get a shot in the NBA. When you have two guys, again, then like the Vin Baker, you can throw a Vin Baker in there too. When you have these guys who barely crack the rotation for their teams that are not in the top of the heap. It makes me think that number one is like, oh, maybe nobody's returning their calls. The other bad thing it makes me think, maybe they just don't care about the G League, which also is not a good outcome. But again, you look at the lack of guys that have played minutes in these three years. You look at that example that I just gave, where you bring in RJ off the street, you bring in Amarui off the street, and automatically they get pushed in and pushed to the forefront over the guys who've been here all year that should know the playbook and all that. Uh, this is the main thing that I would criticize Weaver for is like, you really have not utilized this margin pretty much at all. Yeah, and I mean, the Wizards was a good example because you just asked me, Andy, pick a team that you feel like doesn't know what they're doing. And I picked the Wizards and you just looked at their summer league roster and you were like, hey, like, I think this guy like won two championships at the Australian League. And then you Google them and you're like, yeah, like and just basically going through the resumes of all the players and then comparing it to. You know, this guy averages nine minutes a game and two points a game. And it's like, come on. Yeah. And I mean, the one of their other undrafted free agents, Osun Osini, three-time All-A-10, four-time A-10 All-Defense, two-time A-10 Defensive Player of the Year, 2021 All-A-10 Tourney, they're all All-A-10 freshmen, uh, was the A-10 Tourney MVP one year. Again, that's a resume that's like, you deserve a shot in the NBA. Yeah, and again, it's not to bash on any of the players. It's just that the NBA is such an elite league. And if you want to look at the G League as like the minor league affiliate of it, everybody who's making it on these teams should have a resume and a, and, and just be positioned that it's like, oh, I, I have a legit, legitimate shot. And if you're not putting those guys on the team, then what are you doing? Yeah, and why we waited till now to bring it up and criticize it too is the team emphasized this in the first year, the whole point of bringing the crews or the drive and making the crews into Detroit was we want these guys right here. That way we can have them in here. We can develop them. And they just haven't done it at all, which is really disappointing and really something you can say, <clears throat> like you have to be criti critical of it. And again, I always use everybody uses Miami as the example as well. They should. The reason why they maintain success is because of that. 
every team, every smart team has utilized undrafted free agents in some way, shape or form to get talent. I brought them up, Oklahoma City, Golden State and Miami. Miami. How many undrafted guys they play in the finals? They played Max Truce. They played Gabe Vincent, two undrafted free agent guys. And smart teams know this is how you fill out your roster as well. When you have a Jimmy Butler who's maxed out, when you have a Bam Adebayo who's maxed out, when you have a Kyle Lowry who's okay, but you had to pay him a lot to get him here. That's how you fill out the rest of the roster. And I mean, again, going back to the the draft, if you look at Boston who traded back so we could trade up to get Sasser, that pick 31 that was ours, they ended up trading back again to get like two more picks. And then I think they traded one of those picks again for like two more future picks. And some of those teams, yeah, they have picks, you know, maybe like 45 through 50, but they're specifically signing players to their two-way contracts. And, you know, they're letting them know, like, this is where you're going if you want to sign with us. But they're stacking like their minor league talent for a shot at the future. That's not what we're doing. So the Miami Heat's 2023 Summer League roster, Chase Adige out of Northwestern, played for one of the best Northwestern teams of the last, like, 15, 20 years. Fantastic defender, willing shooter, confident guy, 6'4", 200. Jamari Bouye, volume three-point shooter, went through their developmental system this last year, Sioux Falls Skyforce. Jamal Kane, shout out Oakland, up there in Oakland County. Another Oakland guy to come through the Miami Heat undrafted free agent pool. He'd be the second one if he does end up working out. Listed as six foot seven, two hundred five pounds. He is the pick for a lot of people, basketball analysts already, of the next Miami undrafted free agent success story. Caleb Daniels out of Villanova. Not flashy, but you know those Villanova guys know how to play. They know how to fill a role. Six foot four, two ten. Javon Franklin, a very interesting wing who kind of played like power forward role defender, 6'7", 210 out of Georgia Tech. Taylor Funk, one of the more underrated dudes, a lot of like the no ceilings guys and Mavs draft. They've all commented on Taylor Funk already of like, of course, the Heat are going to get him. Very good shooter, 6'9", 220, could be a stretch big. Somebody that probably ends up working out even in the G League. Patrick Gardner, who was one of Coach Spin's super sleepers and one of his picks of like, this guy is going to work out. Six foot 11, 250 pounds out of Marist, which is why probably nobody's ever heard of him. But man, he has a lot of give and go potential. He's a really good shooter at the five position. It says, will he work out on defense? But another guy, to me, he was one of the guys too when I saw. The Heat got him. I was like, come on, man, arrest these guys for robbery because this is somebody that just seems like he could be like Mike Mascala. Jaime Jaquez, of course, their draft pick. Jovic, the draft pick from last year. Trenton Masser uh, out of Western Illinois. Another good you know, guy that just scored buckets and was a good dude for his college team. Another guy I was like, of course, Miami got him, arrest them right now is Drew Peterson, six foot nine, 205. He can pass, he can shoot, he can defend like at a USC. So, you know, he played good to competition. Me being the Pac-12 guy and being here in Arizona, very well versed with this guy. Another one that just seems like he's going to work, can handle the ball some. Justin Powell, another one. How do they keep getting away with this? Justin Powell was on draft radar when he was at Washington where he looked like a tall point guard, 6'6", 205, really good shooter. Then he went over to Tennessee, 
transferred again after that to Washington State, where he continued to shoot very well from three, maybe not much else, but also showed the passing chops and the point guard skills. Still, maybe could be like a taller version of uh, Tyler Robertson, was it? Um, you know, I remember a couple of years back when he was the, the big name there uh, for the Heat and then ended up signing with the Nets, if I remember correctly. And then they have Orlando Robinson, the guy they stole last year. Another stretch big at Fresno State. I saw him a lot for my Lobos. Um, you know, giving them problems down in the paint because the Lobos that year had no center. And then lastly, 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 how does Miami keep getting away with this? Alondis Williams is the last guy on their roster who was one of the best isolation scorers last year at Wake Forest was with the Nets and then kicked around the G League, has still been a really good point guard that knows how to attack the rack. Super confident. This is what you need to do with your G League team. Like you said, stack these guys up. That's how you stack it up. This is why Miami keeps rolling on. I mean, I look at this roster and I'm like, man, I would take like four of these guys to play in the Pistons rotation right now. So I know some people will say, okay, they're undrafted, it's the G League, there's a low probability of them turning into anything. And I agree with that. But if you look at the environment of Detroit's G League and Miami's G League, who's going to have a higher chance of pulling someone out who either ends up contributing on the roster or even becoming more than that? Because if you look at the who, who Miami was playing in the, in the finals, in the playoffs, they came from this system. They came from nowhere. That's two players in their playoff rotation that came from here. That you just you can't mismanage things like this. Yeah, absolutely. And the time to develop and just give these guys that quote unquote don't matter minutes were in year one when you sucked anyway, you're trying to get the number one pick. In year number two, when you sucked anyway, and you're trying to get a top five draft pick. In year three, when everything went to hell in a handbasket and you don't care and you're still trying to get Victor Wembanyama, that time has passed now. So now you actually have to find guys that fit a role, which is partially why I think they didn't really bring in some undrafted free agents. Well, if you want to take the generous route, they're like, okay, we like Tosan. We don't care about anybody else because we believe in Rodin. We believe in a Moody and we believe in this guy, Malcolm Kazala. And that's who we're going to put our eggs in the basket. That's still like the four dudes. Right. And you can't be wasting these spaces on guys that don't have this resume to be an NBA player. Like those two guys, those two guys that we mentioned, Ellis and Brewer, like that could have been spots for somebody else. And Maybe you're doing them a favor. Maybe you're saying like, hey, I want you to get some you know, eyes on you so you can go sign in Europe or somewhere like that. That's doing the player a favor. That's not doing your organization a favor. That's also not helping out your G League team, which is the whole point of this whole thing, right? If these two players don't end up being on the G League team, then it is a complete waste because it's like, what were the point of those two spots then? Because... That's even a part of your organization. If you don't care about the smallest part of the organization, then you don't care about the greatest one. That's just my opinion. Yeah. And I mean, I can simplify it for us and basically say, if we still have Buddy Bayheim on a two year, a two way this year, then, you know, we're not taking things seriously. We're not utilizing everything that we can. And it's, it's that simple. 
Yeah. Can you say why? Because I have heard serious talent evaluators like professionals that get paid that NBA teams listen to their opinion. I've heard them say that Buddy Bayheim is a waste and he should be gone. Why might they say that? So, and again, I'm not a talent evaluator. I'm just a basketball fan for years. But when you watch games, you can see players who stand out and you can see players who are struggling to stay on the court. And the eye test says, Buddy struggles to stay on the court. But Detroit is a team that needs shooting and he's an elite shooter. So I get that. But then when I looked up his stats and I'm like, wait a minute, we've got another guy on our G League team that shoots more threes than him. And we got another guy that shoots at a higher percentage. And he still can't stay on the court for athleticism, but we're keeping him here for shooting. It, it just doesn't make sense other than just doing a favor for a lifetime friend. Yeah, I mean, I'll break it down. Simple one to one comparison. Amudi Moody doesn't have <laughs> I'm losing my voice here. Hang on. I'll break it down in simpler one to one comparison terms. Stanley Moody did not get the two-way contract last year over Buddy Bayheim. Stanley Moody is six foot six, two hundred and ten pounds. Buddy is. Let's see what his measurements are: six foot six, two hundred five. So he's a little bit smaller. Buddy has one skill, and that's shooting the basketball. You go back to Syracuse; that's always been his role. He is not asked to play defense. That Syracuse defense also is infamous for not translating to the NBA and part of why you haven't seen a Syracuse player be drafted high is they have to relearn how to play defense over again because of the zone that that Syracuse plays. Stanley Moody, meanwhile, started at South Dakota where he was the man, led those teams in scoring, had to be the number one guy, transfers over to Arkansas in the SEC, which is the top athletic conference in college basketball. In that league, he stands out. He looks like the same kind of athlete. And they also asked Stanley Moody to play a couple of different roles. We need you to defend. We need you to play power forward at six foot six, two ten, which he did at times. We also need you to be more of a floor spacer, which he did very well. We need you to be like more of the number two guy that year. This is why you can criticize the G League thing done like Buddy Beheim. If Buddy isn't a good volume three-point shooter, he does not bring anything else to the court. He's not a defender. You can't ask him to like play point. There's nothing else. Whereas a Moody, oh, if a Moody doesn't shoot well, oh, guess what? He can defend really well on the wing. Oh, he's not really working out at small forward. Okay, let's make him a, a small ball power forward then he because he did that as well there. Oh, he, you know, needs a little bit more time with the ball in his hands. Cool. He already did that before. And this is where, like, the things need to be focused on. It's like, find the guys that work in the rotation that can do a couple different things. This hurts me as the Michigan alumnus say, but there are are not going to be another Duncan Robinsons coming on down the line. And even him, just because he's a quote-unquote shooter, he shoots in a variety of different ways that supplements his players. Buddy Beheim would have to do that as well or become the next Steph Curry magically in an offseason. If he can't supplement and do movement shooting, you know, do the direct handoff game and stuff that Duncan does with, with Bam, 
he's not a good shooter that can fit in with the guys you are developing to be your stars. So do you have any, uh, I guess, final thoughts that you want to add about the summer league team? Because to close, I have uh, a question. It's on a different tangent, but I don't want to take us off this right now. Just that I do believe in Jared Roden. I do believe in Stanley Amudi. I'm interested to see what Tosan Iwoma has to offer and what exactly the team's um, thought process is with him and really believe in Malcolm Casalon. If I had to, I don't know, I would go back back and forth because I think Casalon, Amudi, and Roden definitely all profile as three and D wings. They all commit that way. Casalon probably has the athletic advantage there. But they're, those are the three guys I really want on the two-way contract. And I would want to see them in the regular season because this team really is still missing that defender at the three position. We want Asar to be that, but it's going to take a while. And beyond him, there's no other wing defender. So definitely excited to see Roden, Amudi, and Kazalon. I believe in them. Please give them all the three-way contracts. We just need Amudi now. And I won't. I will admit to not knowing that much about summer league until the last couple of summer leagues when I started paying attention more. And when our when we stopped playing our our high level guys, and when uh, Ivy sprained his ankle and he wasn't playing, and everything fell apart for the summer league team, part of me was just like, oh, I mean, Ivy's really really good, and of course for summer league he is. But now I have a better understanding on who else was on the roster and what we're trying to do. And then it makes sense when you wonder, like, why does the basketball look like this that I'm watching? Was that your question? So my my closing question to, to close us that's on a different subject is, when do you think Dame is going to end up getting traded when, where, I guess, when and where, what are your thoughts? I think sometime this month, I would think in the next week and a half to two weeks. And I, it's got to be Miami. Everything says Miami. It's the only thing that makes sense. Um, again, I was debating this with a couple of the guys in the Slack chat. and Some were saying Brooklyn. To me, if, if I were Brooklyn, it wouldn't make sense to me because I got to trade away all these assets for Dame, who's 33, I want to say. 32 or yeah, he'll turn 33 next week. His birthday is like July 12th. If he doesn't work out in a year or two, then you gave away a bunch of stuff, right? For two years. And we don't know how good this Brooklyn team can be. I believe they were 12 and 24, something like that down the last 43 games of the year. So I don't know if Dame wants to win a title. It's Miami. It's got to be Miami. It makes too much sense for everybody. So I agree. I think he ends up going to Miami. And I think it either happens tomorrow before noon when the moratorium lifts, or it's going to take a while because I think that that's how Portland gets some leverage back because if they're losing Dame, they're not competing for anything. And if Miami wants to get them, they need to put a, together a roster and they need to win games. And the longer it takes, the more it hurts them. It doesn't hurt Portland in any way. 
Do you think the Pistons are involved in this? Because most outlets are saying that this ends up being a three or four team deal because both sides need a third or fourth team. So I was hoping they were going to be involved because the the trade where we took Joe Harris, um, Brooklyn, because like honestly, right now, I think Miami and Brooklyn and Portland can do a three three way trade without including anyone else. They could use Tyler Hero, move um, Damian Lillard, and then I forget. Uh, actually, they don't even have to send salary back to Portland from the other trades they've made. They can make that work. So then it's just draft picks and things around the edges. But uh, I was hoping that Detroit was still going to make some other moves, like for Grant Williams and things like that. Because, like you said, it's it's not official yet, so they have flexibility. Because that's actually how Dallas was able to do it. Because technically, they didn't have the space to do it, but they were able to make it work because nothing has been finalized yet. Yeah, I hold out hope that Pistons continue to be involved in that. I saw a trade today that had um, Harden going to the Clippers, Dame going to the Heat. And then it was like a mixture of hero, Marcus Morris, and I forget whether veterans going to Philadelphia and then picks and whatever else to Portland and Tobias Harris ended up going to the Knicks. I'm like, if you insert the Pistons into that and they end up getting Tobias Harris, I think that would be a win for everybody all around. And then Bojan ends up going somewhere else. Um, I could see that working, but again, Daryl, Daryl Morey, the Pacers or Pacers, the Sixers GM has said that he wants two first round picks or some exorbitant fee for Tobias Harris. So who knows if, if that will be the case, but we shall see. I think if something like that happened, it would be good. Again, Bojan just doesn't make, it doesn't make sense for Bojan to be on the Pistons and it makes sense for him to be somewhere else where, he can help a contender and they can help cover up his defense. Yeah, no, we, we stand the, the same on that. And, and again, that would be one of my criticisms is you have to keep turning over the roster and flipping players for little assets along the way, because those are the small edges that Detroit has to, to maximize. So. So last question from me to you. What do you think of this roster so far? What do you think of the, the free, the free agency, the draft, all that stuff? Um, it, it really doesn't bother me. I mean, I would have loved to have got Grant Williams today. Um, I'd still even take, I'd still even take PJ Washington if there's a way to get him because the way the market has worked out, like getting Grant Williams at this price for Dallas is a bargain, an absolute bargain. The way that money dried up and the number of players who are still on the board. I mean, that would be my criticism of, you know, Troy Weaver needing Troy Weaver guys. There were a bunch of guys who signed for lower contracts than I anticipated that maybe we could have got them paying more because we're not a good place to go. But then again, it's going to come at the cost of some of the younger players playing. So you have to like make your decisions. Like people criticize Houston because they got rid of some young guys to bring in the vets that they did. But I mean, if you look at their pick protections, if Detroit had 
their pick and they had and their pick was protected the way ours was, we'd be under pressure the same way to increase our wins a lot more. Right now we don't have to worry about it. our pick is like protected for like the entire lottery. So and we'll be there again. But I I don't I don't hate the idea of starting with Boyan and Stu at the three and four and just seeing it, giving it some time. If it doesn't work because Stu's not able to shoot enough, move Boyan to the three, move Boyan to the four, start a SAR. And again, you know, that gives him time to almost be on like the Jalen Duran plan of not starting, coming off the bench. And then once he's comfortable, if he shows he has the skill, then you can start him. Um, so I don't mind that. I just think that the roster fits much better if we move Burks or we move Boyan to just create more playing time because we want to see what Livers has. We want to see what these guys have and then seeing, you know, which of the vets do fit that maybe we keep for another season and which, but we just got to keep flipping players until we find the ones that are perfect fits for the core. And Boyan's just not a fit because his defense is so bad. And I understand everyone's like, oh, he's an efficient 20 point scorer. So we can't give him away for cheap. But in the end, it does not add to winning. And like uh, Dylan Brooks, I know everyone, you know, rips on Dylan Brooks. But if you look at his plus minus for the Grizzlies over the last. Don't do it, Andy. Don't do it. No, I'm not saying we need him. I'm using him as an example of he impacted winning on their team. Even though his shot selection was bad, he's not a great shooter. He impacted winning. And I think Bojan puts up good numbers, but I don't think he impacts winning for what this team needs. Yeah, Dylan Brooks impacted winning in the playoffs, too, when he poked LeBron. So <laughs> I get what you're saying, though. But yeah, but yeah, the defensive side matters more. It's why you see Dylan Brooks chuck up so many shots and you're like, why does this guy work? And then you watch the actual game tape and you're like, oh, it's because he knows where to be on defense. And he knows how to wall guys off and work within the parameters of the defense and continue to be a good man to man defender on the wing who's always willing to do it. So, yeah, I, I, I get it. I also like the roster, too. I like specifically that they added two more shooters. We said it a couple times that typical Monty Williams teams in Phoenix had at least six guys that were good shooters, like 34 to 36% or better. Now they at least have guys that have proven to do that. Joe Harris, Monty Morris. I'll throw Livers in there because Livers has been a consistent shooter and he's there, Boyan. So that's at least four dudes. And then you hope Kate and Ivy end up being at least 36%. You hope Stu can be in there. So there's at least three other dudes in there that you have reasonable hope for who aren't going to be the number one floor spacers out there. And then Asar doesn't have to do those things as well. And I, even though we're saying Trey Bullion, like I get why you would keep him. I'm looking at it from, from that perspective. But yeah, the floor spacing, as much as I want them to invest more in defense, if they don't have good floor spacing, then it's going to be hard to put out a good offense there with Kate and Ivy. And I'll just end with this in terms of this whole thing being criticizing Troy Weaver's lack of analyzation or, or lack of real success on the margins. I think he's just created such a small margin for error that if Kate and Ivy don't work out, then everything falls apart. Like there's no other backup plan. They don't have a bunch of other first round picks they can invest in. 
There's no real up and comer behind them. Everything revolves around those two. And we believe in them. This isn't to disparage it. It's just look at all the other rebuilds around there. This is the one where it's like it all dependent on Kate and Ivy. Yeah. And and I, I hope like my thought process is just me making something up. But I hope the reason that we haven't improved our four position this offseason isn't just because Weaver's completely sold on Stu being the four and not wanting to have somebody competing against him or you know what I mean like taking away from that because like what we did for Killian here by bringing in Monte Morris I think was excellent because Killian may not earn a shot in the rotation and that's fine but even if he does and he starts to struggle we have someone there that the team's not going to struggle he just loses his job and as much as I believe in Stu you can't believe in him so much that if he can't shoot or struggle shooting that now the roster doesn't work. And that's kind of the position we're in. Yeah. Again, the margin for error is so small. It's all on Stu to shoot. And if he doesn't shoot, then everything falls apart. It's the same with the rim protection too, though, to be quite honest, like if Wiseman doesn't take a gigantic jump forward, if Bagley doesn't magically become a good defender after not being a good defender for his whole career, and if Duran, if Duran doesn't become passable, there's nothing else, right? There's no backup there. There's not even like the Nerlens now who can call in from the phone or on the bench to be like, hey, this is what you're doing. If those guys continue to play the way they have, then there is not going to be a good defense right there at the rim. Maybe that's part of the plan. Like maybe they, they still want to play for one more year of draft position, which I'm, I'm totally fine with, but it would be nice to have year four, have stability of, you know, a consistent rotation at the four where one guy's consistent stretch four. maybe that ends up being Bojan. And definitely at the five position, you would want at least one steady bet, even as a backup, like a JaVale McGee, you know, oh yeah, they're going to rebound. They're going to block shots. Yeah. And, and I just think that's where we we've talked about just the redundancy of too many projects at the same position where now you can't make that move just to add a vet in who can just solidify the position. And it just puts a lot of pressure on the young guys that they have to deliver. And so, yeah. Excited to see the young guys, but man, we wish we had more young guys to be able to fill in the rest of the team. So Andy, Thanks again for being here. I know this went longer than probably what we imagined, but man, it took a lot of prep time for this one because again, we want to be critical, but we also don't want to just have an hour long of like, oh, they suck, blah, they're terrible because that's not what we do here. Yeah, no, and I'm, and again, you know, we want, we want to give them credit where credit is due, but we also believe there's spots where things are, are falling through the cracks that they can do better. Yeah, and when you bring in two guys to your summer league roster who nobody else has on the radar, who casual fans will Google and be like, why? That's where it's fair game to step in it and be incredibly critical of it because there's very little evidence to suggest that any other team would have done this or that this will lead to success down the road. All right, well, next time we'll get to talk about some summer league action.
Yes, sir. We'll talk about Ivy's 15 minutes and Jalen Duran's one game, and then hopefully Rhoda and Moody and my guy Kazlon will have balled out. So thanks again, Andy. Let everybody know where they can find you once more. All right. You can find me at Twitter at D underscore D underscore Pistons underscore fan. And uh, I'm excited for summer league and hope, hopefully, well, now I have a lot more knowledge on the other guys that are on this team. Once we take out our stars and thank you for that. I appreciate that, Steve. Always, 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 you know, me, I just want to dig deeper and deeper. All right, man. Have a good one. You too. I'll see you later, everybody. Have a good night.